Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. I'm, uh, I'm at week three of a new series of messages on uh, gifts of the Spirit in, uh, uh, out of 1 Corinthians 12. In the first uh, message in this series, uh, I addressed three questions. Laying a foundation, or beginning to lay a foundation for the, for the series. Uh, from 1 Corinthians, I asked three questions. Who was Paul writing to? He was writing to the church in Corinth, a spirit-filled church in a pagan culture. I asked the question, why was he writing to them? And basically he wrote this epistle for two reasons. It was correction and instruction. The first, first half of the epistle, he's correcting uh, problems that were in the church. He had gotten letters and, and notices from people that, hey, after he left, that, hey, there's some trouble going on. It, it comforts me a little bit as a pastor. They had trouble in the church then. you know. So if we have trouble in the church, this is like not a new thing. It's not... It's not original to us. There, there's, you have people, there's trouble. So the first half of the epistle, he's, he's bringing correction. Hey, do this, don't do that. The second half of the letter is basically instruction. And specifically in chapter 12, he, he's offering instruction concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And so there basically was five points in chapter 12 that, that he's making, and those were this. Number one is that he, he doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning the gifts. The second point that he made is that the one true and same God is the only source of all of these gifts. See, they lived in a pagan culture. It would have been their default mindset to think, well, one God gave this gift, and a different God gave that gift, and some other God gave the other gift. He's trying to tell them, hey, look, there's different gifts, but they're all given by the one and same God. That would be very important to them in their culture, in their pagan culture. The third point he was making is that there's a diversity of gifts and that this whole diversity of gifts, they're given as God determines who he's going to give them to. The fourth point was that the gifts are given for the common good of the community. The gifts weren't given to elevate one individual over another. It was for the common good. And that the gifts are interdependent upon one another. And the, the language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the gifts are interdependent on one another like the different parts of a human body are interdependent on one another. It's nice to have an eyeball, but if I don't have an eyelid or tear ducts, if I don't have a head or a neck, eyeball's not going to do a whole lot by itself. It needs the rest of the body. That makes sense, right? Same way the gifts of the Spirit operate, we need one another. You need the gifts that are in me for your benefit. I need the gifts that are in you for my benefit. This is how it works. So what does that mean for us? This is my review of, of, of Gifts of the Spirit 1. What does it mean for us? Well, if the gifts operated then, I'm thinking they should operate now. And that we too ought not be ignorant of the, ignorant of the gifts, just as Paul exhorted the church in Corinth. And so my hope is that we figure out how to use the gifts in the most life-giving way possible. Last week, I continued to lay a foundation for this series. I think I gave you 24, maybe 25 different scripture references trying to establish the following points. Number one is that we're called to continue the ministry of Jesus, and that he did many, many things, but he did at least these three. He revealed the Father. He reconciled man to God, and he undid the works of the devil. Jesus accomplished this by the power of the Holy Spirit and by dependence 
on the Father. I gave scripture reference for every statement I'm making. You can go back and listen to it. It's free on our church website. And my point is that we're to do the same things Jesus did. Um, We're to reveal the Father, reconcile man to God, undo the works of the devil. And we're to do it the way he did it. We're to do it with the gifts of the Spirit. This is part of of Paul's um, uh, statement in 1 Corinthians 12. I try to give some definition that spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit that communicate and demonstrate God's love and power. More than just proclamation, there is a demonstration component to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And that demonstration, at least part of that demonstration, comes through the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who follow Jesus. I told you that we do this with both kingdom power and kingdom authority. That power is enablement and that authority was permission. And I made some other observations concerning the gifts. We were gifted to serve. We're not gifted to be served. Anybody met someone who was gifted and expected to be served? I've met a few of those guys, okay? They're missing something, you know? I mean, maybe one of the most extreme examples I'd seen, and I'd seen a few, was a pastor of a church, and he expected that the church members would clean his house. Okay? And not only did he expect that they would clean his house, but when they vacuumed, they had to vacuum in such a way that they left no footprints on the rug. This guy's got issues, right? Somebody needs to slap him upside his head. Dude, you weren't gifted to be served, you know? Come on. And then set Nadine loose on him for a little while. You know? <laughs> Give him an attitude adjustment or something. So we're gifted to serve. It's for the common good of the community. It's not for your benefits. Not that you get elevated. Not that you become some spiritual superstar. Even Jesus didn't do that. The crowds would follow him and he would try and hide from them. Right? He would say provocative statements. They would leave and he let them. You know, I don't know. Anyway, whole other topic. So we're gifted to serve. I told you that gifts are given. They're not earned. Gifts are given. It's not like, well, if you have long and faithful service, you've now earned the right to have spiritual gifts. The Father gives gifts to his children. They're gifts. They're just given. They're tools. They're messy. Everything that's new begins in an immature state and grows to a mature state. That includes the operating of the gifts of the Spirit. We've all had, well, most of us have probably had experiences where the gifts were messy. That's not an argument to get rid of the gifts. That's a really good argument for the necessity of maturity in the gifts. Um, I addressed how we receive the gifts of the Spirit. I told you that we ask God, that we trust God, that there is a a moment, a point of empowerment that is referred to scripturally as the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, for some people, this comes... Um, at their moment of salvation, it's like they get a tufa. It's a two-for-one, right? For others, it's two separate um, experiences. I've seen both. I think both are legitimate. 
Um, how else do we get the gifts of the Spirit? I said that there's a measure of, that is legitimate for impartation where one person who has gifts prays for another person. That there's a, it's a transferable type of thing in some instances. And I told you that risk is, this is, a, we, this is not a risk-free endeavor. Risk is inherent in operating with the gifts of the Spirit. That we learn by doing. It's on-the-job training. That if we want to, and I use this analogy, hey, you know, if you want to learn how to swim, you need more than to read books about swimming and listen to lectures about swimming, right? You can read all the books about swimming you want, listen to all the lectures you know, from world-class authorities on swimming technique, but you're not going to learn how to swim until you get wet. You've got to get in the water. And so operating in the gifts of the Spirit are inherently risky. If you want to learn how to swim, you got to get in the water. I don't know any other way to do it. And so today, uh, my third in the series, we're going to begin looking at specific gifts that are referenced in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I told you I wanted to break the gifts down into four different categories, uh, uh, referencing different parts of the body, the eyes, the mouth, the hand, and the heart. Today we're going to look at the eyes of God. The, we're going to look at the gifts of discernment and and uh, these three gifts, wisdom, knowledge, uh, and discernment, are all part of that first grouping of the gifts. As I go through all the different gifts in, in this series, I want to ask four questions. What is the gift? Uh, offer some definition. What is the purpose of this particular gift? How does it work? And then offer some biblical uh, models for it. Today we'll look at wisdom. I figured if I did all three at once, we'd be here till way after lunch and I'd have to wake you guys up to stack up the chairs and get out of here. So we'll, <laughs> so we'll do them one at a time. Today we'll, look at, today we'll look at wisdom. So if you're open to 1 Corinthians 12, or you can follow along on the screen, um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries uh, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So Lord, I thank you for your word, uh, for the truth and for the power that's in your word. Lord, I thank you that in bold statement. Scripture tells us that the gifts are operative in the early church. I ask you, Lord, that all the gifts of the Spirit would be operating in this community, in this gathering, in my life, in my life with my friends here. Lord, I pray that your word would have its full impact on us and that you'd make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
There's no, if you read through 1 Corinthians 12, there's no argument as to whether or not the gift should be operating. It's just, it's a given. The gifts were operating. Paul wasn't trying to debate with them whether they should or shouldn't be doing it. Of course, this was part of the early church experience. He's trying to give them instructions so that they can understand the gifts better and operate in the gifts more effectively. I think that we ought to take the same stand, the same approach to the gifts that Scripture does. That the gifts are supposed to operate in the church. They're supposed to be part of our life together. What we need to do is not be ignorant of the gifts. What we need, just like they need it, is we need better information and better hands-on experience in operating in them so that they can actually be good commonly throughout the whole community. So it will be a blessing to all of us. That's where I hope to go with this. So, uh, last week I, in, I introduced a new term to many. Some of you might have heard of it. It's a, a term that um, Peter Wagner came up with and that John Wimber was, was uh, known to use frequently. It's the term gracelets. And it means little portions of God's grace, gracelets. And it's a term that Wimber used interchangeably uh, with the phrase spiritual gifts. And so, um, I want to begin this section on on the gifts of discernment, the eyes of God, with a quote from John Wimber. As I prepared during uh, the series of messages, I found some old vineyard materials. It was, oh boy, it was like, I don't know, found treasure. It's just been delightful. Like meeting up with old friends again, just going through those materials. And, and so as I began going through it, I found this quote from Wimber. I think it's a good place to introduce this section of the gifts. And so Wimber said, the gracelets, or spiritual gifts, the gracelets of discernment, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discernment of spirits are gifts of supernatural insight. They see things as God sees them. Speech is required in order to communicate these discernments. These gracelets meet the Christian's need for having God's insight into circumstances. They are not perceptions from a rational base. A person cannot think them up on their own or communicate them on their, on their own. They are trans-rational. In other words, beyond our own rationale. Now, as you listen to that statement, and you've listened to my sermons for like 10 months now, do you think I was influenced early on in my journey by John Wimber? Well, yeah, you know. Some of this stuff is beyond our logic, our reason, and our understanding. It's outside of us and put into us by someone greater than us, the Holy Spirit. So, what we're referring to here is a supernatural capability beyond that which we have cultivated through human effort, education, or experience. It's a wisdom that comes outside of our experience. So, word of wisdom. Let me give some definition. Word of wisdom is an utterance. Inspired by God and spoken by an individual. It reveals part of the total wisdom of God. It's a sliver. It's a nugget. It's a facet. It's a sampling. It's a taste of the total wisdom of God. It's not all of it, but one piece of it. It's seeing what God sees in a situation and then speaking it. And then saying it out loud. It's getting to see, perceive one way or another, a circumstance from God's perspective, and then 
communicating to the others in the group what it is you perceive. Another way of saying it, it's applying, it is applying God's wisdom to a specific situation. The gift of word of wisdom is the special ability that God gives to members of the body of Christ to receive instant insight on how a given revelation, say a word of knowledge or prophecy, may best be applied to a specific situation or need arising in the body of Christ. Or how to give a given situation or need, um, how it is best to be resolved or helped or healed. So let me say it another way. Knowledge is discovering that a desert path is 12.4 miles long. That's knowledge. You know, I've read it on a map in a book. My GPS says that this stretch of desert is 12.4 miles long. I've gathered that knowledge. Wisdom says, I better pack enough water for the journey. Okay? Wisdom goes beyond knowledge. What's the purpose of the word of wisdom? Well, it's problem solving. It's counseling. It's teaching. It's useful to parents. It's useful to, to leaders. The word of wisdom is useful to employees and to employers, it, as well as being a very effective tool to use within the church or within ministry. It easily has application in both. We need people with godly wisdom in our government. They may not share the wisdom God's given them, prefaced with, thus saith the Lord, but nobody's going to really care because when they hear the wisdom, they'll recognize that this is right and true. We need people with godly wisdom in our classrooms. We need them in our hospitals. We need people with godly wisdom in our church, in this church. Here's the practical effects. Wisdom grasps the what, the why, and the when and properly applies the how. Wisdom is able to perceive from God's perspective what's going on, why it's going on, when it's happening, and offer, hey, this is how we ought to go forward. It makes the application of the how. Wisdom makes proper application of the revelation received. So revelation comes, a prophetic word comes, a word of knowledge comes. Wisdom knows what to do with that word. The prophetic person may not, the, the person who shares a prophetic word may not be the same person that has the word of wisdom. Oftentimes, I've discovered in church settings that you'll have somebody with a strong prophetic gift in the church and they'll share that gift. Maybe they're an intercessor. Maybe you know, they're just somebody that God speaks to on a regular basis and they get a sense of what God's saying and they share the what. I like to say they deliver the mail. They're the mailman. They've got a message. They're delivering this message. Well, they've got the revelation part, they have the knowledge part, they've got the, they got the prophetic side of it. They may not have, and often do not have, the wisdom part on what to do with that message. The word of wisdom sometimes is given to another person, to the pastor, to a leader in the church. And so they receive the word and they decide, hey, how do I best make application of this prophetic word? There will be understanding of when it should be shared. And who it's for. 
and why it's being shared. So you see the difference? There's difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's difference between prophetic knowledge and supernatural wisdom. I found that this is particularly useful in both public meeting settings or in personal one-on-one ministry settings. I've seen it operate in both. I'll have people come and meet with me. Actually, one of my most favorite parts about being a pastor is when I get to meet with folks one-on-one. I like this, too. I like the preaching part. But I really enjoy meeting with folks one-on-one. And they'll share concerns or problems in their life or we'll, we'll just be in the midst of conversation And often, the way the word of wisdom works for me, just to give you just some tangible example, God gives me an analogy. He often speaks to me in analogy. And when I share it with the person, I'm trying to give them some understanding, I say, oh, it's kind of like this means that. And I just watch their eyes open. And it settles the issue in their heart. They're like, yes, that makes sense to me. It gives them a, it takes a complicated issue and gives them a handle to grasp. That's That's a pretty good sign that the spiritual gift, the word of wisdom, is operating. Have you ever experienced this? That you're in a conversation with somebody and something comes out of your mouth and you're thinking, dang, that was good. (laughs) Where did that come from? You know, boy, I don't usually think of that. It's like, that's God. That's the inspiration. Usually, word of wisdom comes out in that manner. Sometimes you're actually sitting in audience of yourself. I've chuckled at times like that. I'm thinking, man, they're so impressed right now, they know it has nothing to do with me, you know. Oftentimes, I've shared with you that the way God speaks to me is I see things. Um, Often I'll see something in the Spirit, and wisdom lets me know what to do with it. So I'll give you an example. This has happened over the years a few times to me. So I'll look at somebody, and in the spirit, I could see heavy chains around their neck or, or around their, their wrist, and it's weighing them down. And so it doesn't take a whole lot of discernment to know that they're in some kind of bondage, right? I see chains around them. Now, what do I do with that? If I just look at the person and say, oh, man, it sucks to be you. You're in bondage, right? I'm, I've communicated accurately the knowledge that I have. It does suck to be them, and they are in bondage. <laughs> But if I help them at all, is there any value to this? No, right? This is what wisdom does. Wisdom sees that and looks at them and says, God loves you, and he has a greater degree of freedom in your life than I think you've ever experienced before. Would you like that? Ah, Now I've done more than communicate knowledge. I've communicated the heart of God for them. Do you see the difference? Right? That's what wisdom does. The word of wisdom allows you to speak constructively and not destructively into another person's life. The example I just used, right? One was constructive, one would be destructive, right? They'd walk away thinking, oh man, I'm in bondage. Whoop-de-doo. Can I come back to church next week? This this gift is very helpful when praying for healing uh, for people. It shows how best to pray for the specific person in, for this specific person in their specific situation. The word of wisdom enables you to speak life and hope into difficult situations. <laughs> Trust me, the word of wisdom 
can keep you out of trouble, <laughs> it can get you out of trouble. And it often causes a sense of awe and wonder uh, in people who hear it. And their, their response, a the healthy response, is that as a result of this awe and wonder, they, they give God glory, they worship him. Their hearts are turned toward him. So how does this work? So I've given some definition, but how? What, what's the how on how this gift operates? We've looked at the definition, we looked at purpose. How does it work? Often, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like I said, they are interdependent on one another. And so don't be surprised as the gifts of the Spirit operate in your life that there's an overlapping. And you try to, it's hard to you know, make a, a clear-cut definition of where one ends and the other begins. It's more like, like colors blending into one another. Um, this is especially true, I think, of wisdom, knowledge, and, and prophecy. So how does it work? You will perceive um, oh, you will perceive in a revelatory way what is being uh, said or done from God's perspective. How does it work? You will perceive one way or another. You'll, you'll see something, you'll hear something, you'll feel something one way or another, um, some revelatory um, aspect what's being said or done from God's perspective. Sometimes it comes by means of a revelatory picture in the mind's eye. Sometimes it's coupled with a word of knowledge. It provides you some facts that you would not otherwise know. Sometimes a word of wisdom is spoken with all the characteristics of a prophetic word. I can remember sitting in staff meetings with John Paul Jackson when uh, when I was on staff there, we would have a staff meeting every day he was in the office, just about. We'd, we'd have a staff meeting. And there would be times we'd be sitting there, and John Paul is speaking. If you don't know him, John Paul Jackson is a pretty well-known prophetic minister. has a very strong prophetic gifting. Well, there's sometimes we're in a meeting, and he's talking, and it's just John Paul Jackson, the guy, who's talking. And then other times, there would be this shift. And he went from John Paul Jackson, the man speaking, to John Paul Jackson, the prophetically gifted person speaking. And, and you can almost feel a shift in the, in, in the room. There was, a, there was a weightiness on his words. <laughs> and it just kind of changed. It took a little bit of practice to kind of figure out who you were talking to at the moment. Sometimes for him, it would happen in the middle of prayer. Like I remember when uh, the day we left Texas, um, before we hit the road, we stopped by the office, give everybody hugs, say goodbye, and, and John Paul laid hands on us. He began to pray. And honestly, the first two or three sentences of his prayer, it was just like any other guy praying. And then, boom, something kicked in. <laughs> and he went from just a friend praying to, you know, here's John Paul Jackson, the you know, world-renowned prophetic guy. And there was much more anointing. There was much more oomph, weight. On his words. Sometimes that's how the, the, the gifts work. That's sometimes how the word of wisdom comes. It's in the middle of conversation. Boom, God just drops in. And puts something in there. Most often, the word of wisdom comes in the moment. Like I was just saying, in the midst of conversation. 
You're talking about one thing, and it's a couple of friends talking, and then boom, somebody gets a sense of wisdom. And usually, especially for the others in the room who are sensitive to the Spirit, they realize, oh, that was God. Yes, this is what we're supposed to do. There's, this, there's a kind of an aha moment that comes in the group. I think sometimes when I'm interpreting dreams for people, this is the same thing. There's, there's a sense of wisdom from God that comes that gets to interpret the, um, the dream that they've shared with me. And truly, when, when God is on it, there's an aha moment. You share your interpretation, they could feel the spirit of truth. They can recognize that this was, boy, there was some weight on this. And so it, sometimes people will gasp, or they'll, they'll, drop, they'll just begin to cry. They'll drop their head. You could see a physical reaction on their body because of the Spirit of God um, that he's on the words that you've just spoken. So word of wisdom often comes in the moment, in the midst of conversation and dialogue. Like I said earlier, sometimes you can feel the Holy Spirit on yourself as you're speaking. Like I mentioned earlier, for me, often it comes in the language of analogy. I can communicate wisdom. I can communicate understanding parabolically. Hey, you know, this kind of means that. And it speaks to a person. So, I hope this is helpful so far. We've given definition, we've given purpose, I've given you some understanding of how the gift actually operates. So now that I've laid out these principles, let me back it up with Scripture. Let me give you scriptural examples Three scriptural examples of the, of the word of wisdom operating, and uh, hopefully the text that I offer will back up the instruction I've just given. So the first, the first of these um, three models of the word of wisdom is, is King Solomon. And this is from uh, 1 Kings 3. Let me read the account uh, to you from verses 16 to 28. It says, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she laid on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was sleeping. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, uh, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, the other one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. And they gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. 
But the other one said, neither I nor you shall live with him. Cut him in two. Verse 27. Then the king gave this ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is her mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Ooh, powerful story. So what's the problem that we have here? There are two mothers and there are two children. One child dies of suffocation. Both mothers claim that their remaining child is their own. So where's the word of wisdom here? We see it in verses 24 and 25. Bring me a sword. Divide the child in two. Give half to one and half to the other. Ooh. Pretty tricky, huh? What's the result? The real mother is willing to give up her right to the child so that the child will live. The other woman wasn't interested in it at all. And as a result, the child is given back to its actual mother. That's wisdom in operation. And even the people, what's another observation here? The people themselves could perceive that the wisdom that the king was operating in was wisdom from God. That he had been given wisdom from God to render justice. That's the word of wisdom in action. It comes in the moment. Wisdom is revealed to him on what action to take, and justice came forth. Can you see that? You can nod your heads. You can pretend you're not sleeping. I mean. Okay, another biblical example. Let's look at Jesus in Matthew 22. Verses 15 to 22. Scripture says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent the disciples uh, to him along with the uh, Herodians. Teacher, they said, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. And he said to them, So, get back to Caesar or the Caesar's. And to God, what is God's? When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So what's the problem that we have here? Well, the first problem is that the Pharisees are threatened by Jesus, and they're trying to entrap him. They think they're being slick. They're just trying to come up for some way to trip him up and make him look bad in the eyes of the people, right? Then somehow trap him so that he'll make some kind of statement they can justify having him thrown in prison, or worse. So what's the problem here? So they ask the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And how does the word of wisdom operate in this way? He responds to them, show me the coin. Right? Whose image is on it? And then he tells them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. That's word of wisdom in action. It comes in a phrase in a quick statement, changes 
everything that's going on in the moment. What was the result of the people? Well, verse 22 tells us they were amazed. Can you see that? That's how word of wisdom operates. One more biblical example. A little bit longer text this time, but it's, it's worth uh, getting it out. Here we get to see James operating in word of wisdom. It's from Acts 15. They're having trouble in, in the early church. There were theological differences going on. There's conflict among uh, the leading members of, of their group. And, um, and this is the account of it from Acts 15, verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that from time, that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in alignment with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will be rebuilt, and I will restore it. Verse 17, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. James continues, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat strangled, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city and the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And so I could go on from there. But basically what they do at this point is they heed James' counsel. And they write a letter saying, hey, do these things. And then they send out trusted um, representatives to deliver the message to the Christians in that region. So what was the problem? They're struggling with two philosophical, two theological paradigms. It is a new covenant. This is we, we had communion this morning, remembering it. Jesus has established a new covenant. He's done away with the old covenant. It's a, this is a new and better covenant, covenant. But there are people who are used to doing things that way. They've got a lot of their life and history invested in this. And they're thinking, hey, these new guys are coming on board, these Gentiles. We ought to make them follow all the old rules too. And Paul and Peter 
And James are saying, wait a minute. Things have changed. We're not going to do it the old way anymore. A new day has come. Jesus has changed everything. That same argument between the old way and the new way, that same argument between law and grace happens in the church, <laughs> happens in Christian churches throughout the world to this day. If you're on Facebook, one of the hottest messages that constantly get repeated is over the issue of grace. It was an issue then. It's still an issue today. It's a, and it's an issue worth fighting. There's still arguments and debates that go on between the way we used to do things and the way we're doing things now. I tell you what, as a people group, we don't embrace change very easily. They didn't do it then, and we don't do it today. We need the word of wisdom to come and to speak into those circumstances so that the church can move forward in a healthy way. So what was the problem? The problem here was the circumcision of Gentiles. Hey, I've joined this new group. Oh, by the way, we've just changed the rules. You've got to be circumcised. Wait a minute. I might find a new group to join, right? You didn't tell me that when the Holy Spirit came on me. You could see how that would be an issue. The Jerusalem church struggled to solve this theological problem and its practical application under the new covenant. This was a real problem. Does the new covenant require adherence to the old? And then the word of wisdom spoke. Verses 13 to 21, James spoke. He said, don't make it difficult to the Gentiles, for the Gentiles, but right. And he gave some, some uh, limited instruction on what they were to do, the things they were to abstain from. What was the result of the word of wisdom being spoken by James? They were in agreement to take action. They came together. Where they began with disagreement, now they agreed. And they were able to, as a group, endorse this letter that went forth to all the churches. That's the benefit of having the spiritual gift of word of wisdom operating in our midst. I bet you everyone in this room could benefit from that result in some arena of their lives. It could, it could be beneficial if you're dealing with your children. If they're young or old, right? Parenting adult children is not easier than parenting little kids. I could use the word of wisdom that they could recognize when I speak to them. It, it would be helpful on the job. It would be helpful as the church moves forward, as, as Charlottetown Community Church moves forward into doing the things that God's called us to do. We need this spiritual gift operating in our midst. Can you see how it would benefit? how all of us could benefit in the different areas of our life from having this gift operating. Okay. Next week, I'm going to speak on, on the topic of uh, the next gift, the word of knowledge. So let me tell you what I want to do as I go through each one of these gifts. When I did the um, spiritual gift workshop, I was very um, intentional about not only giving instruction, but giving some room for application as well. And so as I go through the, as I continue to go through this series, at the end of each uh, topic, what I want to do is give us opportunity to have some practical uh, application. 
Um, maybe not of the specific gift that's uh, mentioned, but to leave room for the Holy Spirit to operate in our midst. I want us to get in the water and learn how to swim. I don't want to just talk about swimming. I don't, just don't want to give you information about swimming. I want you to get wet. Jump, get in the water, get in the pool. <laughs> the water's fine. And so um, I want to make space for us to do that. If we don't make space for it to happen, guess what? It's not going to happen. Boy, I could just feel the anxiety level in the room. Look. <laughs> now, I want us to be able to do this in a way that is for the common good, that it will be a blessing uh, for us. And so, yep, this is going to stretch you some, but, um, and I'm sorry, but I'm not really. So, <laughs> so this is how I want to do it. Let's everybody stand. Let's stand and let's pray.